morning, everyone. This is our second week of our When Life Gives You Lemons series, and this past year has brought us a lot of lemons, a lot of grief. And although grief and lament might not be very fun to talk about, they are necessary first steps for any journey that's going to take us someplace new. And our culture doesn't teach us much about dealing with grief, but scripture actually does. But I have to confess, as I've been preparing for today, what I was thinking about most was Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Because when you're talking about grief and lament, it's so easy to hit things too hot or too cold instead of just right. Naming and being real about our pain, but not getting stuck in it. And naming and being real about the hope that we have, but not being too trite or too Pollyanna-ish about it. It's a pretty small target to hit to get it just right. There's pain and there's hope and healing. And we often experience both of them at the same time. Emotional healing is not as linear as a rational mind might hope that it would be. Sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back. Sometimes you need to recover the ground that you've already walked. And what you know to be true in your mind might not actually be what you're feeling in your heart at any given moment. But both of those things are very important because they both fill in a piece of what's true. One author recently said this healing process is a bit like creating a mosaic out of broken pieces. It might take a while before you see the picture. So it's my prayer that the Lord will allow you to hear what's helpful to you today where you are in your grief and pain, and what feels too hard or too soft for you today can be just lodged away for when the time is right for you to hear it. So with that, the old saying goes, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And that's all well and good, but you have to realize that for that to happen, those lemons first have to get mashed into a pulp. <laughs> and that's just step one. If you walk away right there, you've, all you've got is mashed lemons. And the truth is, in making lemonade out of lemons, you can't get to step two alone. Because step two requires an outside element, a sweetness, that can temper the sourness of those mashed up lemons and eventually bring out other flavors that were previously overpowered. This year, you might have felt crushed, squeezed, and pressed beyond what you can bear. And if that's true for you, don't sit alone in the pulp Invite the transforming agent of God's sweet presence in, because God is not finished with you yet. You can't get around grief. You can only go through. But it's not a road that any of us are called to walk alone. And that's why we're doing this series all together. And that's why we have a community wall of lament in our commons, because we all have things that we need to grieve before we can move forward, whether we know it or not. And Jesus wants to meet us there to help us find healing while showing us things about ourselves and our world that we can only see through our times of lament and grief. Emotional suffering is not a sign that you are broken. It's a sign that you're a human being who lives in a broken world. Because if you're alive, you're going to experience emotional suffering from time to time because sometimes that's the correct response to what's happening. Grief, loss, fear, sadness, anger, pain, they're all part of what make us human. And if you care about things at all, you're going to experience those emotions at some point. Case in point, Jesus did. Jesus wept. 
Jesus was frustrated and angry. Jesus felt the pain of people's distance from God. And unfortunately, there is this exceedingly unfair, unscriptural thought that gets touted in our society that if you're a good Christian, you should never feel sad, broken, or overwhelmed. But if that's true, according to the Bible, Jesus was not a good Christian. (laughs) Matthew 26 says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. If there was ever a place in your heart where you believed that lie of the enemy, that as a faithful Christian, you should never feel pain, sorrow, or fear, or need other people to help you with your struggles, let Jesus' words and actions remove that lie from your heart right now. If the Son of God could be overwhelmed with grief and sorrow in complete faithfulness, If Jesus needed friends to sit with him in his time of struggle, so can you. You can, in all Christian faithfulness, lay out your raw pain and fear to Father God, expressing to him your longing for things to be different than they are, just like Jesus did. And you can need the comfort of friends to bear this present suffering with you. Jesus didn't try to face his grief and losses and laments stoically alone. So why, as his follower, would you think you have to? Jesus shows us feeling and dealing with emotional pain is not weakness. It's honesty. And it's an honesty that validates real love. We have to learn it's okay to not be okay sometimes because sometimes things aren't okay. And pretending they are when they're not is just dishonesty, and that doesn't do anyone any good. Instead, naming what is, what we actually feel, allows us to honor and validate the real loss we experience, and then to ask for the help we need to grieve and lament what is. Only then can we invite Jesus into it and ask God to show us the way to healing. You see, whether it's physical or emotional, pain actually has a purpose. It points us to something that needs to be addressed. So if our deal with, way of dealing with pain is just to ignore it or numb it or try to distract ourselves from it, that only works for so long. But we don't want to listen to our grief and fear and despair because they don't feel good. And of course, we don't want them to dominate us. But emotions are just information. And there is a way between completely giving them the reins and trying to keep them silent. They cannot be given the full conversation, but they do have something to say, and they need to be allowed to speak. But we have to be ready for this, because when we are finally ready to listen to our own negative emotions, our grief, our fear, our despair, they usually send us toward action. Therapist Miriam Greenspan writes, despair asks us to make meaning out of apparent meaninglessness, to grieve our unmourned losses, to examine the unexamined life, 
to legitimate our anger at the world, to struggle out of the cocoon and be reborn. This hard journey is a very human one, and it's not a journey we take alone, even when it feels that way. Some of the most famous heroes of our faith went through times like this, like what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. And his writings about this time in his life helped generations of Christians understand that there's hope even when God seems silent. Case in point, we hear Jesus crying from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we know that Jesus was in that very moment at the center of God's will. And we know that in, from the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus knew this was the plan, but what he felt in that moment was alone. Now what does that tell us? First of all, it tells us we may not always feel God's presence with us. That doesn't mean he isn't. And second, it tells us that knowing that doesn't mean that we can't or that we shouldn't voice our protest that we don't like his silence one bit. <laughs> In fact, it's a prayer to tell God that we feel alone. But Jesus wasn't even alone in how he expressed feeling alone. He was quoting the words of David from Psalm 22. <laughs> the truth is, there's nothing more universal, more common to the human experience than feeling alone in our grief. And that's why more than ever in our times of pain and lament, we need each other. There's a Jewish practice called sitting shiva, to sit with a person who has lost a loved one for seven days, just to sit. And the purpose is to bear witness to their loss, to honor, validate the importance of what's been lost to them. There's a Henry Nouwen quote I put on the wall of lament out in the commons because I think it expresses the value in this of just bearing witness to one another's losses. And it says this, The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness, that is the friend who really cares. See, the truth is we all need people to sit shiva with us in what we grieve, to validate the painful realities of what we've lost without trying to hurry us on to healing. Because before we can heal, we have to grieve. This is not something to be skipped or rushed. And the longer we avoid facing it, the longer it takes to get to the healing. So what does this have to do with you? Well, last week we talked about depression and sadness, and next week we're going to be talking about the actual loss of a loved one, and these are important topics. But my topic to address today is about a different kind of loss, one that's particularly hard to know how to grieve. I want to talk today about our need to grieve the losses of what we hoped would happen, but didn't, the loss of a dream. I'm talking about those kind of losses that leave us with the question, without this, who am I? Because there are some losses in life that take part of our identity with them. They are identity thieves. And the danger with these kind of losses is that people often don't recognize that they need to grieve them. Because how do you grieve what never was? How do you grieve what you hoped for? 
So they try to ignore these hurts or pretend they don't matter. But the truth is, grief around unfulfilled dreams takes up a lot of emotional territory in our hearts. And if we don't acknowledge them, they usually get in the way of our ability to move forward. <laughs> it's the work we put into pretending that we're not grieving that gets us stuck. But the challenge with these griefs is that they can be intensely personal, our hopes, our dreams, and that makes them harder to share. But even if you feel no one else will understand, God will. Scripture reflects that. In Proverbs 13, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. What's made you heart sick this year? Do you have a hope painfully unrealized? What do you do with your grief? And just in case you don't know what I'm talking about, let me give you a couple possible examples. Students. You had dreams for this past year that involved sports and proms and plays and concerts and ways of growing into and trying out all the gifts of who you want to be. And many of those dreams stalled out with COVID. You had hopes and dreams of what your senior year would look like or your first year of college. COVID has robbed you of the chance to have those experiences that you looked forward to as your life's milestones. Those are real losses. And you might know in your mind that there are good reasons for this, so you might think the mature thing to do is to pretend they don't matter so it doesn't hurt anyone else, because you don't want to be angry. But the truth is, you are. Because anger is a stage of grief. It's the this-isn't-right part of grief. And just because you understand why you lost something doesn't make it hurt any less to lose it. It's so important to identify what we've lost and name it for what it is and validate that what was lost is important to you and why. Because when you will admit that you are grieving, then we can sit with you and say, we see it. We see your loss. We know it's real and we grieve it with you. You don't have to pretend it doesn't matter. It does. And validating that loss actually helps you grieve the experience you never got to have. When you can admit, admit that loss, you can invite Jesus into it. You can invite others to bear witness to it with you and eventually come to the place where you can finally surrender it to Jesus and ask him to lead you to healing. This is the acceptance stage of grieving. Only then can your heart start to look for new blessings. So that's one example. Here are a couple more. Maybe you're a kid and you used to play with friends every day, and now because of COVID, you haven't been able to play in a way that makes you really happy for a long time. It's a real loss. Maybe you're a person who wished to be married and never found that right person, and in this time of isolation, you're feeling that pain even more. Grieving now, you can't even look for that person. Maybe you're a divorced person, grieving the loss of who you were as a part of a couple, grieving dreams for what you'd hoped your life would be. Maybe you're part of a couple who, after medical intervention, came to realize you will not be having children. And you're grieving the child you never had the chance to meet or hold in your arms, grieving the loss of a dream of who that child would have been or what your life would have looked like with them in it. It's a real loss a real grief. Or maybe you're grieving that your kids are all grown up and no longer need your daily acts of love and care in the same way those actions gave your life purpose. 
But you can be happy for them and still need to grieve the loss of who you used to understand yourself to be. Maybe you're grieving your vision for what you thought America should be. We've all been shown the cracks lately in all corners of human politics. And there's a real grief in the tarnishing of an ideal that needs to be mourned before we can find a way forward. Maybe this is your grief today. Maybe you're grieving the career path that you always wanted to pursue but never had the chance to try, or the loss of a job you loved that gave you a sense of purpose and identity. Maybe you're grieving the fact there, there are a lot of things you used to be able to do, but now with the onset of age, you're physically unable to do them anymore. Maybe because of this COVID season, you're unable to do those activities that usually give you joy or meaning, to volunteer or to gather with a group of people around an activity or purpose. These are real griefs. These real losses are identity thieves because they damage how we see ourselves, the purpose of our lives, and that loss leaves wounds. So does everybody have something now that you know that you are grieving? You might be saying by this point, thanks a lot, Angie. Why did you do this? Now I'm depressed. <laughs> and if talking about all these things isn't going to change them, why not stuff them or forget them? Because everything in us wants to avoid facing pain. But if we let it speak, our pain points us toward what matters to us. And in listening, we might start to hear where the gentle voice of our Good Shepherd is leading us to find healing in ways we never expected. There's no way around grief. There's only through. But it's so important that we do it. And here's an example why. Therapist Miriam Greenspan shares a story about a couple who came to her for counseling. This man was on his second marriage, and his wife wanted to divorce him because he was emotionally cut off, not there, and she had had it. But he didn't want to lose her. And so we asked the therapist to help him. And in talking with him, she discovered that this man's first wife had died of cancer before they could have children, and his second wife couldn't have children. And it turned out he had never allowed himself to grieve the fact that he would not be a father. And you can understand why he didn't want to go there. He didn't want to feel that kind of pain himself, and he didn't want to hurt his wife by mourning what she couldn't give him. So in a way, it was out of love that he chose to cut off those negative emotions. But the problem is you can't cut off pain and still be open to joy. Emotions don't work like that. And in cutting off pain, he became emotionally unavailable to actually be in the relationship, and that's what ended up endangering it. It seems wholly counterintuitive that to have joy, you have to grieve, but that's just how it is. That's what it is to be a human. And this takes courage because our society does not teach us how to grieve or how to validate the importance of actually grieving our losses. But scripture does, beloved. Jesus does. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Not cured, not fixed, comforted. There are some things that can't and won't be fixed in this broken world. Some things will only be restored in heaven. But the Lord doesn't want the grief of this life to keep you from living it. Instead, he calls you. He invites you to mourn so that you may be comforted. And to all of you who will dare to mourn, Jesus says, blessed are you. 
Because when you bring it to him, he will listen. He will sit Shiva with you, honoring the real hurt of your pain until you're ready to give it over to him, to surrender it to his safekeeping, until you're ready to see where the path of healing and resurrection will begin from whatever tomb you are currently in. And if Jesus would die, would go all the way to the cross of pain to give you that hope, do you think he wouldn't sit with you in your pain? Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Wasn't that what he was asking of his friends? Sit with me. He wasn't asking them to fix or cure or change anything. Just to be with him as he felt what he felt. And as he said all he needed to say to God his Father in prayer. And if that's what Jesus asked for those closest to him to do for him, do you believe he will do any less for you? So listen to what your grief is telling you. And what you need to face, face it with Jesus by your side and face it with friends holding you up in prayer. To admit you're feeling despair is to admit you're not seeing the purpose or meaning in your life, which means that your heart is longing to be connected to meaning, which means that your life's purpose right now is to ask the Lord to help you discover his purpose for you. Emotions are information. Grief reveals love, honoring what love does in your life and revealing the kind of love you need. Fear points you to what you believe needs safeguarding in your life, and it will eventually lead you to a place where you have to surrender to the Lord what's not in your control, because honestly, not a whole lot is. And fear leads you to the desire to know what you can trust when everything else falls apart. Some things may not be healed on this earth, but there is a real hope and a future that is not fragile. There will be a time when all things broken will be restored. And in Jesus' saving grace, you are given an identity and a future and a hope that can never be shaken. And it's an identity and a value that has nothing to do with whether or not you can still play the piano or whether you get to be a football star or not. You are more, and your future is more, because Jesus has claimed you as his own. There's more that awaits you than is behind you. That is his promise. Romans 8, 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And verse 38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to notice two things from those passages from Romans. First, there is a good to come so glorious we can't even imagine it. And secondly, that God fully sees where we are right now our present sufferings. They're real and they hurt. They're part of our history and they need to be allowed to speak, but God alone holds the ending. So knowing that, we start from where we are, our present suffering. So I'd like to do that right now with you. I want you to take a moment and honestly identify what you're feeling without trying to belittle or explain away what you feel. Do you feel angry, sad, lost, confused, just take a minute and let a word come to mind. What are you feeling? Once you have those words in mind, now name what is it that you're grieving? 
What is your hope unfulfilled? What have you lost that you had hoped for for yourself in this season of your life? Name what was important to you that you lost this season. And then third, validate the importance of that loss. And you can do that in a lot of different ways. You can write it down, find a way to commemorate it. But most importantly, I'd like to invite you to validate it by sharing it. Invite Jesus into your pain. Tell him about your loss. Pour on him your raw feelings and let him sit with you in your pain and honor it with you. And then if possible, if it makes sense in your situation, invite a safe person in to share it with you too, a friend, a counselor, a pastor. Martin Luther, in reforming the church, put aside a lot of practices that he didn't think had spiritual value, but the practice of private confession he kept, which actually surprised a lot of people in our modern age because Luther usually prioritized taking priests out of the middleman position so people could see Jesus' saving work as his free gift of grace. So why would Luther keep this practice of confessing sins to a person? Well, here's what I think. Luther struggled a lot in his life. He, he grieved a lot of losses. And where he found the most relief himself was when he could bring those griefs to the confessional and share them confidentially with someone who would validate his concern and then speak the words of Jesus' grace. I think the confessional was the only place where your average Joe could go and be assured that someone would listen to the burdens of your heart and help you address them. Luther did not want to lose that for anything. Yes, we can and should bring our troubles directly to Jesus, but sometimes having a person sitting in the flesh in front of you to speak Jesus' words of grace to you, letting you know you've been heard, sometimes that's what you actually need to receive the truth that Jesus is with you in grace. Invite Jesus in, and if you have a safe person, invite them in too, to sit with you. And then fourth, surrender. When you've identified, named, validated your loss, you've entered into grief, when you've invited Jesus into it with you, there will come a day when you're ready to surrender it. What you give to Jesus, he will carry, because he knows what's important to you in it. He won't mishandle your heart. There will come a day when you can surrender that grief into his hands. And when that happens, ask the Lord to lead you into healing and show you the new gifts that he has in store for you right where you are. And if you need a place to start, I'd like to invite you to use our wall of lament to share your sorrows with one another in our community as we bear witness to them together. Or on Saturday, January 23rd, we're hosting an online spiritual retreat using Emmanuel Prayer, which is a way of entering into the presence of Jesus. This is a good way to practice the invite Jesus in step. And you can sign up on our website if this is something you'd like to try. And as we enter into that prayer, the great thing about doing this online is you can turn off your camera and mic if you want privacy. So you're only hearing the instructor and no one else can see or hear you. It's actually a great way to begin if you're not sure you're ready to invite anyone else but Jesus in yet. But now is the time to begin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. God is not finished with you yet. So let's grab those lemons and let the lemonade making begin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us that meets us right where we are 
and in those losses in our lives of things that we had hoped for, ways that we had wanted to grow and ways that we had seen ourselves that this season of our lives has shaken. Lord, we pray that in those places where we felt we've lost who we are, that you would remind us, that you would show us who we are in your grace, that our identity in you can never be shaken by any circumstance of earth. So Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would be the foundation under our feet, that you would walk with us as we walk through our grief, through our sorrow. And Lord, we pray that you would lead us into healing. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.